Okay, I am here with cake designer, baker extraordinaire, Ron Ben-Israel, who is one of the most well-known, charismatic, delicious cake bakers that uh, (laughs) I've uh, come to know over the years, and uh, I want to thank you for uh, taking the time to speak with us. Our listeners, I know, are very excited to hear what you've got to say. Uh, So welcome to the Wedding Podcast Network, Ron. Thanks for having me. Um, let's start off by giving our listeners a sense of a little bit of your history. How did you start in creating mm. these these wonderful mm. wedding cakes? Well, the truth is I started very early on. I was always curious about the chemistry of pastry and baking, uh, much to the... <laughs> Much to uh, the concern of my mother, because I did set up the kitchen twice on fire, and I used to burn things in the oven, so I was constantly shooed out of the kitchen. But I was fascinated less with cooking, but more with the idea of mixing water and eggs and flour and having a cake. So I always liked that. Uh, but my culinary career started with a pizza parlor, where I would flip the pizzas up and down. And um, I really didn't think that I'll get involved in it professionally as an adult, but I did meet this extraordinary chocolate maker whose identity I'm not allowed to divulge. And we had a very torrid affair. And I ended up starting making chocolates. And that was wonderful for me. Really exciting as an adult to be able to produce something delicious and pretty. Uh, and to realize how excited people are about it. They would just go crazy. Um, and then there was a, somebody asked me to do a wedding cake. And I did one. And it was received well. I didn't think much about it. And then another friend of mine who does shop windows asked me to contribute two display cakes for the um, windows of Mikimoto, the famous Japanese pearl company on Fifth Avenue. And what happened after that? A few days later, the store called me and said, people are not buying the pearls. They all want to know about the cakes. So from there on, people started ordering cakes. I used to... I rent a catering kitchen from 11 o'clock at night until 6 o'clock. So during the day, I will meet friends at a, at a cafe owned by a friend of mine, and I would show my portfolio, have coffee with them, decide what they want to order. Then I would run to the kitchen at night, bake the cakes. Then I would deliver them. Then I would start over again. And about six or seven years ago, I was able to build my own kitchen here in Soho, New York, and design it as I wanted. Uh, it became a very special place and. I have a career. And uh, this is a wonderful space that you have, and I wish uh, there was a way that our mm. listeners could actually smell how wonderful <laughs> it smells when you walk in here. Uh, well, it just smells convince. sweet. Yeah. It's, yeah. There's a sweetness in the air. The funny thing is I, I live in the neighborhood, and as I walk home, people stop me because they say I smell like a cookie. <laughs> <laughs> we only make sweet cakes here. And what was very important for me... Um, I wanted a place that would be well lit because what we do is so artistic and creative. Color is very, very important. So we're able to rent the top floor and open the skylights that you see here and work in a very airy atmosphere, which influences the clients, the brides and the grooms, influences the families who come with them, and my chefs and myself. So it's a happy place to work in. Well, it's, it's very beautiful, and, and uh, thank you for having me in. Um, how does a uh, a bride, a, a couple, uh, go about choosing someone to create their, their wedding mm. cake? I wouldn't know where to start because 
there's so many talented people around the country, around the world. Uh, I think every city in the United States would have somebody specializing or attempting to do wedding cakes. So first of all, I would suggest to start looking close to home. Uh, and if there's a local baker or a serious amateur, I would start with them. But first see what they have to offer, what they feel comfortable with. I think one big mistake that I get phone calls and emails is that somebody attempted to reproduce, let's say, reproduce a cake of somebody else that they saw in a magazine and the project did not work out. The cake fell apart or it was too complicated. So I would start with what people know and another good venue is to look for uh, culinary institutions such as schools that have pastry departments. Maybe there's an aspiring chef there. But if worse comes to worse, of course, they can come here to New York and we have um, traveled all over the East Coast and we also uh, fly our cakes. It's impossible to ship a cake, you know. It's a very fragile, edible, perishable item, but you can fly them by special arrangements. Okay. <laughs> of and course, it's very costly, but we do that by special request. And does the cake uh, travel in a completed form, or is it travel in pieces and, re and assembled? That's a very good question, um, because some of the cakes will travel by themselves. I would say five or, tier, five or six tiered cakes could be uh, packed, crated on dry ice, and flown directly. We usually do it the day before the wedding, just to make sure that everything works well and then they can be refrigerated overnight. However, some cakes are much more complicated and require five or six pieces, and many times a crew member or myself will have to fly with the cakes and then assemble them on site. Um, there's a variety of options. Uh, everything is possible. You know, we've done some amazing, outrageous projects where two of my chefs flown in a private jet to the Bahamas and constructed three cakes for each night of the wedding and all that. But uh, we serve a variety of clients and size of events, and I would say the smallest cake can be uh, flown in a direct commercial flight, if there is a direct flight to your nearest airport. It's still costly and it's still complicated, but it's doable. Um, but I would always say start from your local baker, and then if impossible, try to get a cake driven to you by van, even if it take, takes the whole day. And then, if you absolutely insist, we'll be happy to serve. There is a good reason why cakes can be flown or driven but not shipped. Um, our cakes are all structured on butter. They're actually very heavy in butter, and nobody orders them because they're afraid <laughs> of cholesterol. <laughs> so if you have a cake that is very rich in butter and in eggs and in chocolate and all the good stuff, they harden in refrigeration, which means we do not need to use vegetable shortening or preservatives. The cake gets completed the day before, then created and refrigerated overnight, and then driven or flown, and then you have the few hours of the reception for the cake to come to room temperature so the cake melts on your tongue. Now, how much influence does the season uh, have in, in a particular cake? I know when we were just uh, in the kitchen a little while ago, and we'll have a couple of photographs up on, uh, on the website, uh, you've got uh, bins of, of flowers that you've created, <laughs> and you said are seasonal. Right. So talk a little bit about how the seasons affect the cake. Well, once again, everything is possible. And if there's something that I love, I would do it any season. But we do very greatly influenced uh, by what goes around us. And it's not so much 
just the season of the year. It's also the season according to fashion. So just like fashion designer and bridal couturier make this collection for the spring, so are we. And we have some ideas, which we cannot discuss yet on the air, for the spring collection. So right now, in the fall, when brides come to order the June weddings, we show them specific sugar flowers, specific idea that we target for that time of the year. Those special designs that we're preparing, let's say, for the next season, the spring season, are not going to be seen until May or June. And then they're going to be premiered in the bride's wedding, and then they're going to become public domain, and then we're going to move on for our next winter designs. So this is regarding the time of, of the year. But of course, the color scheme changes. You know, and right now we're in the middle of fall, and you would see many more oranges, burgundies, burnt color, what we call siennas or sunset. Um, in the summer, you would usually think that you have lighter colors, but in the past year, we've done a lot of bright celadon or chartreuse green with pink and brown. And we've also done combinations such as hot pink, silver, and touches of black, which was great for the summer. But how can I tell somebody not to order that cake for the winter? Uh, so things are a little bit more fluid, um, but you do see a certain progression. Uh, I want to say that very delicate things, just buds and things that are just starting to sprout, are typically used in April and May. Uh, there are seasonal flowers such as lily of the valley that I love making in sugar, and they're very tiny, very delicate. Then towards the end of the summer, not just the sugar flowers, all the decorations tend to be very open and bold and sensuous. And then when we get to the fall, I feel like doing things that are more flowing because you, you actually feel the season around you, colors melt into each other and so forth. Then winter we have holidays, so you get to see a lot of precious colors, precious metal, like uh, silver and gold. And then, of course, you start the whole cycle all over again. And how much of, of the, the color is influenced by the wedding itself? You know, uh, will a bride come to you with a color swatch or, mm -hmm. or uh, a theme that, that she's, she's going for in the wedding? And how do you tie that in? Well, brides are very sophisticated. And I think we all worked in the industry to educate each other. So when brides come to us, usually they already chose the location, and they would know very much about the, the physical surrounding. And because we have so many excellent publications, and so many of their friends have been organizing weddings with extremely great professionals, they've seen the videos that you produced, uh, they've seen the, the photographs, so they already know, and they would say, my bridesmaids are wearing seafoam and carrying burgundy color lilies, but I'm wearing... I'm wearing ivory and I'm carrying white color lilies, but my groom is having an eggplant color lily, and I would like the cake to combine them all. So people are smart, and I do offer a lot of um, uh, options. I don't think that one should be stuck only on one suggestion, and then I give them time to make the decision that fits them. And of course you want to work with the uh, actual location in mind. Um, certain of my cakes that I feel are very outdoorsy with sugar, um, marigold, and uh, daisies, uh, I would not see in a grand ballroom in Manhattan. But then there are some things that I used to do for the Plaza Hotel that unfortunately is being renovated now that are so wonderfully over the top and so baroque, they would never fit in a tent wedding. So we would like to consider all the elements but continue having fun with it and I always tell the brides they should follow their own instincts. And if there's something they want, never settle for an answer like, 
oh, it's all the same, or we know what's better for you, then just run. You should be able to express your opinion. You should be able to negotiate not just money-wise and budget, but also about taste. And ultimately, this is your own wedding. Now, let's, let's talk about taste. We, we, we just talked about the visual and how it looks. Mm-hmm. Um, but let's talk about how the, the flavor of the cake, the taste of the cake, will maybe tie in with the type of menu that they've Correct. chosen. Um, tell us a little bit about how that works. You see, you're smart. <laughs> we all work in synergy. And, you know, if we talk about your field, it's impossible to bring a videographer just to a space without having any relationship. I mean, the way you usually dress, you're very handsome mm-hmm. in a wedding. Why do you want to tie in? But then if you do a Hamptons wedding on a beach, I'm sure you'll take your shoes off if all the guests do that. So the same thing, of course, for flavors and any element. Um, first of all, you have dietary and... and um, traditional elements to consider. Of course, if it's an Indian wedding, they have some flavors that they really like, such as mango, coconut, and things like that. If it's a southern wedding, they love the red velvet cake. And then, of course, everybody likes chocolate. But I do take a lot of things in consideration, such as um, uh, Jewish weddings. Many times we request kosher, so we have to use substitutes for butter. Um, uh, and then the, um, this time of the year, we, we have wonderful citrus flavors now coming in the fall. So why not use blood orange and clementines and mandarins and, and all that wonderful stuff? And then also incorporate things like spices now in the fall and apples, which could be great. And then in the summer, I tend to introduce very exotic flavor, coconut with passion fruit. And uh, the winter is excellent for nuts, but not everybody likes nuts. But if you do, then we have almonds and pistachio and pecans and bananas and strawberries and blackberries. I mean, it's really endless. And we have a classical line, which I think it's quite adventurous because you would have the vanilla bean, which is the pure vanilla with little seeds scraped into it. You have things like cappuccino, which are more complex, but then we have the fun line, things like cookies and cream and peanut butter and chocolate ganache, real wild, uh, using crushed lemon drops and poppy seeds and fun. Wow, it sounds great. Now, quite often, you can't get a couple to agree on one thing. Is well, it possible good. to create different, different no, layers course, and different flavors? First of all, we encourage discussion. It's, it's a fallacy to believe that you would agree about everything. You should agree to disagree and then act with respect. You have so many options. You could create different flavors and different tiers. You can make combinations. I always think about a good cake slice as having three elements. Let's say one kind of cake and two different fillings and sub-fillings, and uh, you can embellish a cake with liqueur and with fruit and nuts. So we can do one tier for the bride, one tier for the groom, or mix them together, of course. Now, what about um, the shape of cakes? Is you know the we kind of when we think about uh, a wedding cake, mm-hmm. uh, you know that kind of traditional round tiered uh, type of design might pop into your head. But mm-hmm. as you know, I look around uh, in your studio here in your bakery, there are so many different shapes and, and sizes and 
Inside, we saw a big square chocolate. Uh, right. But you know what? You fell into it. I'm so glad. <laughs> the truth is there are not many shapes. It looks like this. But basically, we have rounds and squares. These are the most basic shapes in geometry and architecture. It's what you do with them. And I think that the traditional American wedding cake was developed here in the 40s and 50s has all those elements that I discarded. It starts with plastic pillars, and then you have plastic plates and lucite um, fountains and, and stairs with little plastic bride and groom all over. We really had to let go of this, just like if you look at the fashion statements in the 80s that bride used to wear, they had a lot of heavy sleeves, and uh, the fabrics were very heavy. And if you look at wedding dresses of the 90s through the new century, they are amazing. They look like ball gowns. And so are the cakes. So you take the rounds and you take the square and you can tilt them in every direction. You can offset them. And I agree that each cakes look different, but if you really analyze them, the shapes are basics. It's what you do with it. Now, how does a, a bride uh, or how do you help a, a bride and groom determine how big a wedding cake should be? Is it mm. determined just by a number of guests or their desire for a very grand cake or a smaller cake? Well, Let's be honest. If somebody comes to us and they want a so-called designer cake, they will be less budget conscious. That's just the reality of it. And most times people ask us for a larger cake than the number of servings. And let's think about it for a moment. Let's say you're doing a wedding for 200 people and you're going to have a minimum of 20 tables. To do a cake for half the amount of guests will end up with three tiers and it will look miniaturized in the ballroom. It takes quite a large space to, to put 20 tables and 200 guests. So then if we were to do it by the person, we would have at least five or six tiers. But many brides like our eight-tier structure, and they want the cake to be taller than themselves. So contrary to popular belief, if you want a nine-feet cathedral train on your dress, you're probably going to have a nine-tier cake, and it will be grand, and there will be leftover cakes. But there are wonderful ways to deal with it. A lot of couples do a brunch or a, a lunch the next day, especially for out-of-town guests. So we could create a tier or two just for that purpose with a different flavor, and that will be saved. Also, a lot of couples this day appreciate how, much, how many people suffer, and we have made an arrangement with City Harvest, which is an organization here in New York, to donate food for homeless uh, shelters, and the next day, the bride and groom can rejoice knowing that the homeless people of New York City are eating chocolate cake with Grand Manier with pecan crunch of a banana cream and so forth. Now, um, we, we talked uh, earlier as you were giving me a tour of the kitchen about the idea of, of miniature cakes. Mm. Uh, and you had an opinion about, uh, <laughs> about that. I actually uh, said no more <laughs> miniature cakes. No more. And the reason is um, that when you count the number of projects a week, Robert asked me, how many cakes do you have this week? And I said, we have 12 weddings. And he said, wow. But he doesn't realize that in June sometimes we'll have 20 or more. Now, it doesn't always matter how big or how large the cake is. You look at the cons as a, one project as a whole concept, and you have to put the same amount of energy and work, whether the cake is large or small, because each bride and groom are as important for us. Therefore, let's say you do a wedding and you require from us 200 miniature cakes. Each one has to be done as an individual project. And at this point, I simply cannot do that because I could totally close the bakery and just produce miniature cakes. I also feel that it was a great idea for a while. It was really cute. 
but people are going away from cute. Um, I think the presentation of a wedding cake uh, is centralizing. We usually bring the cakes uh, to the center of the dance floor after being displayed all night towards the end. And I've seen your videos, and I know what a great excitement it is to see the bride and groom toast each other, cut the cake together, and then share it with the rest of the crowd, the rest of the guests. So I would hate to substitute small cakes in front of each guest to a large, the opportunity of serving a large cake. And when do you recommend that the cake be served? Some, I mean, I've seen over the years a cake be served way too late in the evening, and oh, yeah. most of the guests are gone, and they don't oh. get to, to eat it. Would you recommend that? Oh. I mean, it's dessert. It's for people to eat. Oh, definitely, definitely. And I think, first of all, you build the excitement by having the cake displayed throughout the event in a prominent place. And if it's my cake, I always request to have a spotlight. You want the cake to be seen, especially since uh, cakes these days can be extremely expensive because of the hours and hours and hours that went into creating them. So people get excited. I've seen people get photographed by the cake to actually touch it to make sure it's real and they want to know what's inside and so forth. And people have gone to put the uh, content of the cake, even the name of the baker who created it, on the menu cards, um, which makes me very proud. And then uh, I would say immediately after the main course is cleared, you may have a salad or intermezzo so bad, but immediately after that, do the cake cutting ceremony. You bring, or of course you don't, you walk to the center of the dance floor and then the cake is brought to the bride and groom. And even though they will do the first cut, the maitre d' of course will make sure that the bride does not get any chocolate crumbs on her dress and will present it to the bride and groom to feed each other. Immediately after that, the cake should be cut, coffee served, and we sit down and enjoy the cake. And after that, a few more toasts and dancing. But bringing the cake uh, allows the guests to do one final toast. Typically, also champagne will be served with that. So it's not the end of the wedding, but it's, I would say, about an hour before. And uh, how far in advance do you start creating a cake for a couple. I know that <laughs> when I went to the kitchen with you and, and saw there are, are bins for cakes that you're designing flowers for specifically, does it take a long time to, to bring all that together? Yes, it does. And I have the answer for you, which is always, my answers are like questions. I start designing and working towards the cake sometimes a year in advance, but then the other answer is the day before the wedding. So here's the deal. Designing the cake is not as simple even if we order and have an initial concept, it takes months to get the information from the florists, from the person who's making the tablecloth. Sometimes we incorporate even uh, confectionery jewelry. We need to get samples of the wedding dress if we use it in the design. Um, there's a lot, a lot of information that we gather together. Sometimes we have to wait for a specific flower to come to season so then I can analyze it in order to create a sugar replica. So I would say months and months of design, but then of course the cake has to be freshly baked. We use a lot of three-dimensional elements. You know, one thing that was traditional for many years since the, I would say the 17th century is to decorate a cake with icing, meaning very fine tip, and you would do scrolls and scroll and curlicues over the cake. Our, I would say other style is more to do three-dimensional decoration elements such as flowers and ribbons and lace applique, and it gets applied on the cake while it's still fresh. So you could start weeks in advance. Actually, it's advisable because 
the making of a good sugar rose takes three to four days, and you need dozens and dozens on a cake. So we do start it, and also in the beginning of the week, the week of the wedding, there are a lot of things that can be made in advance. You saw how much hardware goes to the cake. You know, a cake, a really good, heavy, moist wedding cake, needs to have base supports made out of wood. You cannot rely on cardboard. We have to make syrups. We have to blend buttercreams. So even though the cake is totally fresh, there's so many other... You can chop nuts in the beginning of the week, and believe me, in the season it's hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of pounds of nuts and fruit. It never ends. And you have to Monday you have to start all over again. Now, uh, one of the things that I've seen uh, become popular over these last handful of years is the groom's cake. Uh, and I've been <laughs> privy to uh, a number of, of weddings in which you've created cakes, and the groom's cake always seems to be a bit more out there and, and, and right. wild in design. Um, but a good, good groom cake starts with the bride. She has to have a sense of humor, and she wants to surprise her groom. I actually think it's a very ancient tradition with the groom's cake. I think uh, it circulated a long time in Europe, and then it was brought to the south in Texas. And because they have such huge wedding in Texas, they would do, let's say, a bride's cake for 500 people and a groom's cake for 300 people. Uh, but, of course, when you do a wedding in a ballroom, you're sort of limited between... <laughs> so the cake is only part of the whole presentation. And I find out that we don't necessarily have to have the groom's cake as serving but it does give a certain element of the party. And if you think about it, it's the first gift the bride gives to her now official husband. And you know how many crazy things we've done for weddings, from sports motif to shopping to casinos. to It's a chance to sort of roast the new husband a little bit, but also give him the feeling that he's important. And we don't present usually the uh, groom's cake in the room. We bring it out with a big fanfare and sparklers and, and all that. The only thing is sometimes I have to be careful because uh, the groom's cake has so much humor and skill in it. I don't want it to overshadow the bride's cake. You have to balance between them. Two of the uh, groom's cakes that, that uh, come to mind uh, was one that you did was a giant tennis ball. That's true. That uh, uh, that was 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 great. But you didn't see the the one with two baseballs and a baseball bat. Uh -huh. <laughs> Try to imagine, even though it's radio, two baseball <laughs> baseballs and one giant bat. That was a special request by the bride. Uh -huh. I'm not responsible. And then you did uh, for Geraldo Rivera, his right. his yacht. Didn't he look good on that? It, he <laughs> Actually, the, the bride sneaked pictures of him, and he was quite muscular, but we, I think we yes, gave him a little, little bit. hair on his chest. And it was, yeah, that uh, was done in frosting. It, it's a lot of fun because, you know, how men are. Sometimes the car means so much, or the boat, and it's a chance to nod towards them and say, we know, darling, it's important for you, but let's eat your boat now. <laughs> uh, it's fun to do, but, you know, to make a, a car that looks like a car with all the details made out of sugar, including the leather seat of a um, Cadillac, it's, it's quite an undertaking. Now, um, what are, are some of the things that uh, a bride can do to personalize the cake? I know you mentioned before about cake toppers um, and things. How do you incorporate that? If a bride, let's say, has an antique 
a cake topper or they Perfect. want a monogram or, or something, what are some of the ways that they can you know, personalize it just to make it, you know, something maybe small to make right. it their own. I'm glad you said antique topper. You remember the saying something borrowed, something blue. Now, if you have the parents or the grandparents um, cake ornament, that would be lovely. To use um, a bride and groom made 20 years ago, I think it's precious, and to involve it in the cake. My problem is with the new cake toppers that do not look too refined. Um, we had people bring us an angel made out of porcelain that was used a year ago. Or people got special wedding gifts that they wanted to incorporate. And that I would love to do that, and we, we work with them. Special charms, you know, it's a big one in the South. You, you bury sterling silver charms tied to ribbons in the base tier, and then the bridesmaids pull them out. Things like that, definitely monograms, or things that are important for you. But the most important thing is to be true to your own taste. And by definition, your cake will be very personalized if you present to your baker or cake designer who you are. Now, I, I know this may be a difficult question to answer because, the, you know, so much goes into a cake. But what can uh, a bride and groom expect to spend on a mm. wedding cake? Well, it's unfair because <laughs> when you think about New York, L.A., the big cities, even Atlanta, cost of living is very high here. And, and keeping a business, let's say, in downtown New York is extremely expensive to maintain. And of course, the chefs and artisans that work for me have to be paid prime, and you have reputation, and you have, I mean, this space is huge. So people do pay him more. Uh, and you can't compare it to another city where things are a little bit different. Um, but also it's to do a lot with reputation. We can only make uh, a certain amount of cakes a year. And we can't serve everybody. So of course, our price is adjusted accordingly. Um, also depends on the experience of the baker, how long have they been doing it. Are the designs originals or they are knockoffs or, as I like to say kindly, variations? So a lot goes on to buying an original rather than a replica. But I would say that our prices currently, which are considered high, are 12 to $15 per serving as an average, as a guideline. So a cake for 100 people could cost anywhere between 1200 to 1500 But that's a very general guideline because you can't really base a cake per person. You know, we look at it as a whole project, and sometimes it's less per person and sometimes it's more. We build the charges according to the amount of labor and ingredients. If we are going to use 23 to 24 carat gold on the cake, which is totally edible and has sort of mystical properties, uh, of course it's much more costly because we buy the gold leaf. Um, you know, cakes that are very baroque in nature tend to be more costly. There's more man hour to it. Around the country, I hear a variety of prices, but there's a big difference now. And I see that as I travel between cakes that you buy in a bakery that does variety of good things like brownies and cookies or by going to a cake designer. And I'm glad to say that people deserve uh, to make a good living because it's hours and hours and hours of work. You, usually you get what you pay for. Now, how far in advance should a couple who is interested in having you create their cake, how far in advance should they come to you? Mm. Well, I can only speak about our own business here in New York, but typically people come to us half a year to a year in advance. 
Booking a baker more than a year seems <laughs> it's a little bit too far away. What will happen, we definitely will not be able to talk about the specifics of the cake more than a year in advance because we don't know all the other elements, such as flowers or dress and, and, and location. But uh, I would say that specifically for the fall season, which is very big, and for the spring season, uh, many times we have to turn people down. So do yourself a favor. Well, first, I guess you have to choose the husband or the bride. <laughs> but after that, the location will be my first uh, choice. We don't even book a cake unless you have the choice, the location. And after that, start looking for the vendors. And, of course, a videographer, there's only one. You cannot replace it. I could do a few cakes at the same day. But uh, your photographer's videographer, uh, a good florist will not take too many jobs in the same day. Of course, the music or the party planning can only be in one place in one time. Now, uh, a lot of uh, tradition says that a, a couple should have some of their wedding cake on their first anniversary. Okay, uh, that's How does right. a bride and groom preserve for a year, uh, right. which is generally the top layer, uh, of their wedding cake. What's the best way for them to preserve okay. that? You know, when I started baking commercially, I was horrified by that idea. And I said, <laughs> a one-year-old cake. But surprisingly, it works quite well. So let's think about it for a moment. The f not the first wedding cakes, but the Western wedding cakes are really the English fruit cake that by nature can survive many, many months. Um, they're very rich in liqueurs and very moist with fruit. So these were the first wedding cakes to be saved for a year. And actually in England, uh, in territories, you would save the cake until the christening of the firstborn. No pressure here on the young couple. <laughs> um, because a good American cake is full of butter and good stuff and chocolate and moisture, it freezes really well. One tea of cake freezes well, not the full cake. Uh, and as long as it's uh, cold, wrapped in many layers of plastic wrap, and then either placed in a sealed box, which you provide the clients, or um, foil, and prevented from uh, thawing or getting any freezer burn, it should last for a year. Now, I had such good rapport, such good um, feedback from clients, I wanted to try one myself, but it never lasted more than a few weeks in my refrigerator or freezer, and I really don't have, I have lots of cakes. You haven't eaten your cake. Well, I was going to wait until we were done with no, the, come on. the show. Everybody that comes to the bakery doors is asked to eat a cake and uh, I don't care about diets. And what is, what is this that I have So you're tasting it? our chocolate cake that has a dash of Grand Manier which is yeah. optional but very popular and you started with the dark you started with the chocolate rather than the vanilla uh, you have 12 different samples of popular fillings and now we as I told you we're looking at the next spring so you are tasting Now that tasted fruity, fruity yeah, right? Right. that was our mixture of blackberry with fresh berries, and now you're switching to the vanilla cake with the blood orange, mm. which is good now, and again, it repeats itself in the summer. Wow. So if you can see, you have a variety of colors and textures. Uh, the green one is pistachio with pistachio nuts, and now you're going to the dark chocolate. And it's amazing. Milk chocolate. Um, I think it's worth just getting married just to have one of your cakes. Well, you know, you're in good company, you know. <laughs> Um, I think this is a pistachio. Yes. Yeah. Taste. So, you know, there's so much you can taste in one sitting. So wow. we give you 12 different options and ask you to play and mix and match. And if this doesn't do it, then you have to come again for another tasting. That's, that's fabulous. Now, of course, someone can order a cake 
for any occasion. That's true. We do any celebrations. However, there's a matter of availability, and we have to have certain minimums and devote ourselves to the more complex projects uh, because that's what we do. That's what we specialize in. Mm -hmm. So I, even for a birthday or an anniversary, I have to have a certain amount of minimum. Well, basically, to be blunt, we started $500, which should supply a nice cake for 30 or 40 people. You, obviously, it has to be a very special occasion in order to sponsor sure, that. Sure, and, and I would imagine that there's a better chance of you being able to do that in um, what we would consider, at least here in the Northeast, an off-season, uh, January, February. Yeah. Uh, I'm always time. delighted to do a birthday cake, an anniversary cake in March. <laughs> it's very hard to do in June because, you know what, those brides are the most important assets we have. They're really uh, sophisticated I have great taste, they're educated, they're, they look what goes around, they come up with ideas, and they are my direct uh, feedback to the client out there because every bride writes us, calls us after the wedding, and tells us uh, what was wonderful and once in a while what wasn't exactly what she expected, which is very rare, but once in a while I have to realize where I did not... There's a small percentage, of course, that I did not actually capture what the bride had in mind, and these are very hard lessons to swallow, but we always have to make sure that the client uh, is happy. Sure, and I think any of us who are in the wedding business uh, always have that small percentage, um, and you have to take that as a learning experience um, right. and improve upon that. Yeah. Um, That's a very interesting discussion. I'm so glad you also talked about it. Well, one thing also for the couple to remember is that it is indeed the wedding day, but it's also a business. So I would say as a good advice is don't just accept promises. Insist on seeing what the vendor did before, whether it's the flowers, even the dress. Reputation is important. Seeing examples are very important. And trust your instincts, who you're going to work with. And also have a very good description or a contract of what can be done and what can't be done. And we don't actually produce any cake before the couple signs on what we're going to do. And if they would like a specific color of pink frosting, we actually sit with color swatches and specify the number. Or if there's a certain lace design, we need specific photographs and drawings and so forth to be approved. And it's very, very important because... Even if somebody says, oh, I trust you, do whatever you want, it's still very important for me to feel secure. Um, and, but then you're working in a very um, artistic medium, and things change. The strawberries you get one week are different from the other week. So you do try to, to capture that elusive thing. And, of course, I know that I'll always produce the same size and the same quality of work, but there's something additional that you want to capture, right? It's not written, it's a it's feeling. It's in, intangible. And, yeah. and, and I have to say, one of the things that's always uh, impressed me about, about you is seeing the relationships that you, you build with mm. your clients. And quite often you, you, you show up on, on the wedding day as they're getting ready and <laughs> you know, you're greeted as, as one of the family you know, yeah. with hugs and kisses by the bride. Uh, well, I think that's the, the time before the actual guest arrive is very special. And of course you don't want to overwhelm the bride and the groom, but they do need some support as they get ready. And I know that you do some videography of the preparation which is so but I've seen you sneak behind so not to overwhelm people and the time of uh, 
hopefully it will be a quiet time and let the excitement build. And if I come and deliver a cake for a special client and I get to, for them to see the cake, uh, it's just amazing because it starts building the expectation and they realize, oh yeah, I'm wearing my dress, this is my cake, it's real, it's happening. Uh, it's very special. I try to deliver as many cakes as I can by myself, but of course I can't do all the deliveries. Um, so uh, I try to walk around, you know, especially in New York, I can go around Midtown and to all the different hotels and meet my friends because it's such a community here. You really know everyone. And I'm sure in every town it's the same thing. You get to work again and again with the same people. And for me, it's also very important to see what other people are doing in the sense, I would like to know what flowers the florist is doing in this event this time of the year. I like to look at the dresses. I like to look at the locations to visit the chef in the kitchen. That's what keeps you on your toes. Great. Well, Ron, this is... uh has been uh, wonderful information. Um, your cakes are, are extraordinary. Thank uh, you. Both in you haven't licked the plate yet, and you're definitely <laughs> allowed. My wife is going to be very jealous that uh, I got to taste uh, the cake. Um, but uh, thank you so much for your time. Um, it's always a pleasure uh, seeing you and, uh, and being around you. You've got mm. a great energy, and I think couples who, who choose to have you as their cake designer are very, very lucky, mm. uh, not only in getting a wonderful... Uh, looking cake, uh, but a delicious one and, and a great person to work with. So thank, thank you, you for being a part of this, and uh, we hope to visit with you again. Um, and many, many more weddings to come. Absolutely. <laughs> and absolutely. many celebrations. Absolutely, and I hope uh, our listeners uh, uh, learn a lot from, from this, and um, uh, we thank you for your time. My pleasure.